You know, I, uh, I was sharing with our, our service here this morning, um, coming in today, just, uh, you know, it was like this sense of, of Christmas just came. You know, so I was walking, I was walking through this building, it was pretty dark and quiet, and I was just trying to sing that song, Oh, come all ye faithful. And then I was thinking, oh, I wonder if people will come, you know, for Christmas time. And uh, thinking about the time we're living in and the challenges of it. And just feeling that today. And so I thought, well, we're going to be able to open up Romans today and kind of tie back into what it's supposed to look like. And even in this challenging time, you find yourselves needing the uh, encouragement and fellowship of one another to be the church. So um, let's start with a prayer. We're going to dig back into Romans 12. We've got um, a, a section and a second section that I want to get into. So let, let's start with prayer. Lord, we're going to come together today in your name. We begin in your name, the strong name of Jesus Christ. Lord, in a time when um, really the faithful are challenged, uh, will we come? You know, it's been a long time. And Lord, how do you, how do you take things apart? How do you tear apart uh, a body? Uh, Lord, I know that the enemy would do that, and yet you're, you're stronger than the one who's in this world. And so today there's just a sense in which I want to call upon you to be the God of the church. Lord, uh, I know you're teaching us through this time. And Lord, uh, may we emerge, whatever we look like in numbers, may we emerge stronger than we, when we went in. Lord, I want to put that prayer in front of you today as we uh, turn back into Romans and ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. Okay. So we started last week with this uh, question that um, comes out of a, a book or a series of films that I've gotten a lot out of in my life. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, the historian, uh, looks back at history and the fall of civilizations. How did, how did Babylon, Babylon, if we were, could have been alive during, the, during its, its, its you know, prime years, we would say this is a civilization that will never fall. Uh, what strength it had, and of course it, it falls. And then you know, all the way up to the period where the Romans rule the earth, and wow, what a dynasty uh, Rome had created. And today we go into Rome and it's a, just a fraction or a shadow of what it used to be. How did Rome fall? And of course, when you look at history, what you discover is that it always falls from the inside out, not the outside in, but the inside out. You know, we t tend to think, well, what, what nation destroyed this nation or overcame it? So, so we can say, well, the, the Persians, they came, they were stronger and, and their military was, was more equipped and so they overcame Babylon. I'm like, no, Babylon fell long before the Persians pushed the button. They uh, fell from the inside out. Same with Rome, became corrupt within and fell. United States today, um, I, I believe, is probably one of the, the biggest mission fields in the world. Why? Because we, we are, what's, on, what's in the middle, what's on the inside, is coming unglued, it's coming apart. And what our, what our, our you know, country is founded on. But what about the church? You know, the church is uh, an entity that likewise, you know, it tends to fall from the inside out. When its core is strong, it is strong. If it builds itself on the Word of God, it'll remain strong. If it leans into culture and ultimately falls into culture, it loses its power. The power is not not in its in the in the in the people, but in a gospel working through the people. 
So I think we're asking this question, you know, what, what Paul is doing, he's, he's realizing that a, that a fall has taken place, right? Israel is fallen. I mean, the physical Israel has fallen. The group of people that God called all the way back in, in Genesis chapter 12 when he put his hand on Abram and said, you, you will be the father of many nations, that has fallen. How did it fall? From the inside out. It became corrupt to the degree that Jesus walks into the temple and flips the tables over and says, you've turned the house of God into a house of man and a house of thieves. And now instead of giving away my gospel, you, you put law upon people and extract, uh, extract from them. So in a sense, Romans 12 is, is, is kind of coming out of that, that recognition that while physical Israel has fallen, there's a remnant Israel that remains and will always remain. That true Israel are those who, who have remained steadfast in their faith in, in Jesus Christ. And as, as this new Israel begins its work, which is, which is what's happening, you know, Paul is recognizing, look, a page is turning in history. God is now saying it's no longer going to be through the physical people Israel, but through the spiritual people Israel that I'm going to continue to bring my gospel to the world. He says, how then shall we live? How do we live? Right? Lest we fall. How then shall we live? <clears throat> the, uh, the chapter begins with, with really two key words. The first is urgency. You know, I, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, says Paul at the beginning of, of chapter 12. I appeal to you. There's a sense of urgency about it. You know, that we're not, we're not in, in a, in living in a time where we just sit back and say, oh, hey, let's, let's see what happens. Uh, we're in a time when there's a, a war going on for the souls of human beings, and there's an urgency about that war. You know, Paul could see it. Uh, he's a missionary. And as he travels from city to city to city to city, what does he see? Brokenness. People apart from God. And so you'll, you'll never find Paul on, on any given day just sitting back saying, you know, I'm tired. Uh, you know, I, th I think we, we need a break. You know, I think we need, to, we need to sit back here. In fact, it, it doesn't matter where you put him. This is what he has, urgency. I mean, they stick him in a prison, right? And what does Paul say? Hey, you know, maybe I'm in prison. I'll take a long nap. No, he says, how, look at all the people here. For goodness sakes, I wonder how many of them know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Well, I don't know how many days are going to keep me in this prison because angels keep coming and letting me out of them. But you know what I'm going to do? As long as I'm going to be in this prison, I'm going to work towards winning people's souls. So there, there is in, in this, this beginning of, of the work of, of spiritual Israel an urgency to it. It's a question that I ask often. Have we lost our urgency? I'm going to make a side note here. This is going on tape. I don't care. I'm old, and I, they can't do a whole lot to me anymore. So um, we've got, we've got a, we have a district convention tomorrow. A district convention, right? And so what are we going to do at this district convention? I can tell you what. We're going to have a study. Let's study this guy's book. You know what I'm going to be doing? Where's the urgency? For lost souls, for goodness sakes. We're sitting here doing what? And we're living like uh, we have all the time in the world. And if you pay attention to the signs of the times around us now, do you think we have all the time in the world? I do not. 
And so uh, I probably won't sit very long at that uh, district gathering before I have to get up and say, hey, God bless you people. Uh, I have some urgent matters to attend to. Sorry about that, but that's true. He's also given us the second word, and the word is calling. We are under a calling. Every one of us is under a calling of God. God has said, I'm setting you apart. I'm setting you apart for me. Who do you belong to? The world will not tell you this, but you do not belong to yourself. We are owned by God, and we are made for His purposes. And so when Paul begins, he's saying, if you don't want to fall like, like physical Israel did, pay attention to this, that, that we urgently come underneath this calling that God has given us. I want you to look at these two words because they're important to me. That calling is both individual and corporate. It's both. And so when you're looking at Romans chapter 12, there's a focus at, at the beginning of it on what it means for me, Luke, individually to come underneath this calling of God with urgency. What does it mean for me, Luke? When we get to the second part of Romans chapter 12, where we'll begin today, now it shifts. Now the, now the focus becomes more corporate, right? So I know, like, Luke has to pay attention to what's going on in his life, in my life. I do. Uh, because there's constantly things that are trying to pull me away from the calling God has given me. But I also know that this is really critical. That until we come together as a we, as a body of people who are committed to work together, then we are not living out the calling that God has given us. Uh, the calling God gives us is both. It's individual, but it's also, uh, and, and I would suggest it this way, it's predominantly corporate. How do we become a we? And so what Paul is doing here uh, in this, this next section of, of Romans is he's trying to answer this this question right here, the body question. What does it mean for me to be a part of a whole? And how do I see you and how do you see me as we become a group of people who work together? Go to verse number three and here's how he begins. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Man, those words would be so good uh, to begin each day with, um, how do I go out into the world? I want to know who I am. And I am, I am what? Dust that has been breathed into by God. And made, again, not for my purposes, but, but His purpose. Am I more important than the people that I'll meet in this day? No, I am not. Who will be significant in this day? Others. What about you? What about your rights? What about your needs? What about your happiness? All of that kind of thinking is worldly. It has nothing to do with what, what God's called us to. We are people who live in God's hands contently with who He's made us and what He's given to us. So by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with soberness, a sober judgment. Each, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of pull these words out, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I'm going to trip you up a little bit on this one. Each according to, I want each one of you to think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What does that mean? Okay, well, I already got the, the first part of this. I kind of started to get the idea. I, I'm a part of a whole. 
And in this hole, I'm not better than anyone else, right? I'm just one part. But as a part, I need to think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to me. Here's where I want to trip you up. When you talk about the measure of faith, here's my question. Don't we all have the same measure of faith? Like when you're brought into faith in Jesus Christ, is your measure of faith uh, different than Brad's measure of faith? Uh, or, or is Brad's measure of faith different than, than, than Mars' measure of faith? I thought faith was faith. I mean, if, if I have faith, I'm saved. If, in fact, what did Jesus say? If I have faith the size of what? A mustard seed, then I'm saved, right? So what does it mean to think according to the measure of faith that has been assigned to you? Because it makes it sound like there's some differentiation, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound a little bit like there's differentiation? And there is. Here, here's why. When you talk about faith, there's three ways to think of it. There's saving faith. Saving faith is the same for every one of us. It, it takes a mustard seed worth to be saved, right? It's, it's not different. My faith is the same as your faith. All of us, we can look at each other and say that. Uh, the person who, the, the thief on the cross, right, who in the very last moment of his, of his life says, I'll tell you what, I'm putting, I'm, I believe in you as the, the Son of God. His faith is the same measure as my faith. He doesn't need more. He doesn't need to be better. He's saved instantly through, through the work of Jesus Christ. Now that said, there's two other ways that the Bible talks about faith. One of them is, if, when you look at the gift chapters of the Bible, the Bible also talks about faith as a, a gift that is given in different measures. In other words, it's a spiritual gift. It comes to us not naturally, but supernaturally. And when the Bible talks about faith as a spiritual gift, what it's talking about, it's talking about the people in a body who have been given the gift or the ability to trust in God in an unwavering way in the face of, of challenge, right? So I'll tell this story. It's probably not a good story, but I'll tell it anyway. It's, it's a, at least a little bit of an example. So it's a true story. I had uh, been asked to come to this church in... Uh, in Texas, they were going through a call process, and I sat down with their call committee. And they were a group of serious-minded people who, you know, had a lot of questions for me. And uh, one of the things that they were thinking about doing in their church, they were thinking about building a new church building. Which, um, you know, if you have any sense in your pastor, you just say to them, "Hey, uh, let somebody else do that. I'm 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 heading out of town now. Good, have have a nice interview." You know, um, <clears throat> what, what have I got to do? But here's, here's what happened. They're like, yeah, we're going to build this new building. We think we need it. And we're going to, it's going to cost us however many million dollars. What do you think about that? I said, well, I said, I truly believe that if God wants you to have that building, you'll have that building. Well, one guy says, what kind, what kind of answer is that? He says, um, uh, how, how would you go about raising this money? I said, I wouldn't. I don't think that made him happy. He's like, you wouldn't? I said, no, I don't think you go about raising money. I said, the minute you talk to me about raising money, now we're already on a different page. I, I happen to believe that the Bible teaches us that God, when He calls you to something, He supplies. If God called you to build this building, He, he will build the building. Well, would you use a capital campaign? Would you use a campaign? How would you do it? 
I'm like, I would not do it. God will do it. It doesn't matter to me how you want it done. I said, what matters to me is, do you believe that it will be done? Well, this one guy sitting over on the side of the table, and he's listening to this whole thing, and he goes, well, this building is going to cost $6 million. And I think that our congregation, we're going to have trouble with that. And I, I looked at him, I go, oh, you, sir, have a gift. You have a spiritual gift that I do not have. And he's like, really? I said, yes, sir. I said, I have the gift of faith. I said, it's not, you think, it sounds good. But sometimes it's a curse because I'm the guy who walks in the room and says, yes, this will be done. And everybody's like, oh, no, it's not good. We got this problem. We got this problem. I can, oh, God will do it. That's me. I said, you have the gift of worry. I said, it's a great gift. <laughs> he looked at me like, really? Is that, is that a gift in the Bible? I'm like, you know, I don't know if it's in the Bible, but you got it. <laughs> so I said, here's what we're going to do. You worry and I'll have faith and we'll get along just fine, right? So what the Bible is talking about is there is, there is, uh, there are people here right now in, in this, this little representation of, of peace with Some of you have the gift of faith. Even, even though people would ask you question after question after question and point out obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, you will believe with everything in you, no, listen, if God called us to do this, it will happen. You'll believe that. And you know how God will use you? To bring others along. That's, that's part of your role in the body. And so when you talk about think according to the measure of faith that you have been given, there is a sense in which if you have been given the gift of faith, God says, I, I want to use you. I want to use you in a significant way within the body to help push people through the multitude of questions and obstacles and objections that they have. Bring it back to this one single place. Trust God. Bring it back there. Thirdly, there's a sense in which there are specific gifts that are given to people other than faith, right? We're getting ready to listen to a long list of them that Paul will kind of parse out for his hearers. I think it's this specific gift that Paul's talking about here in verse number 3 when he says, Each of you should think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I'm going to put this in Big's words as simply as I can. What he's saying is, he's saying, all right, liberal, don't think too highly of yourself because you're a part of a whole. But when you think about yourself, I want you to get sober. I want you to really test this thing. I want you to know what gifts have I given you, specifically what gifts have I given you to use in the body. But I want you to think about it. Because if you're not thinking about those gifts, and all you're thinking about is, hey, I just joined this church so that I can have coffee on Sunday morning, uh, you're not going to be any good to the body, right? And so what if, what if Jesus Christ sat across from you and looked you in the eyes and said, hey, Dave, I want you to get sober now. I mean, get real. What gifts have I given you to use for the church? Now you're thinking soberly according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He assigned them. He assigned you the gifts. You don't pick them. You don't go, you know what, I like that gift over there. No, nope. he assigns them. He assigns them intentionally because he knows you. And uh, he knows that if, I, if I'm going to, to use Mufasa, this is the way I'm going to use him. I'm giving him these gifts. You use those gifts for the benefit of the whole. And if each one of us really stops and says, okay, let me think about this. Where, where has God gifted me? 
then the church begins to, to come together as a body because we realize, I don't have all the gifts. I need you. I, you know what, in, in the church today, somehow we've kind of put, hey, we'll get this, we'll get this pastor and they can do it. I'll know that it will fail. It is a body of people that come together, each thinking soberly about the gifts that God has given to them to use. He assigned them, all right? Now, you, you, you kind of hear that as he rolls out of this statement with verse 4. He says, For as in one body we've got many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Individually, we are members one of another. We need each other, and we need each other's gifts. Verse 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us, he says, let us use them. I put those words on the board. Let us use them. We're living in a time right now where two words are very, very applicable. Unemployment. Underemployment. Now, I'm going to use those in a physical way, but I want you to transfer them into the spiritual realm. How many would agree with this? There's a lot of unemployment in America today. How many would just agree with that? How many are breathing right now? <laughs> I really, I want to see how many would agree there's a lot of unemployment in America today. Absolutely there is. Why? Well, I'll tell you, everybody knows why. The coronavirus hit. I'm like, that's not why. I mean, it's a part of why. Here, here's what I'm hearing a lot of business people say to me. I can't, I can't get people to work. Here's why. They get paid more not to work. <clears throat> unemployment they get paid not to work it's easier for me to sit back and let other people work and I'll get paid not to work because um, it's kind of hard to work right you know what the same thing happens in churches I think also so I see oh Jason's over there he's doing all kinds of stuff actually looks like he's having fun I'll just sit here I'm gonna sit back I'll just have some coffee go Jason <laughs> have at it right um, underemployment in the church is rampant it really is because folks are not thinking soberly about the gifts that God has given them and don't see themselves as I, you know the church doesn't need me I mean they've, they've got they've, they've got Paul Mueller and Paul's he's, he's like a superstar he's, he's doing this and this and this he's all look at that Mike Nelson he's doing that car care deal let him do it right no here's what the, here's what the words are let us use them not only is there unemployment in the church, there's underemployment in the church. A lot of underemployment in the church. In other words, I really believe this, that the gifts represented, like we, we are like a thumbnail representation of the whole of this church body right here. Just the gifts in this room have incredible power to transform a city for Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is doing. Come back to this word, urgency under the calling of God, please use your gifts. Please use your gifts. That's what he's calling out to the body. If we don't, what do we become? We become like physical Israel. We die from the inside out. So get sober. What are the gifts that God has given me? How do I know what they are? And let us use them. Let us use them. Paul then begins to, uh, if you will, kind of, put on the table 
a number of the gifts that God has placed inside of the body. Uh, when you look at the Bible, there are three chapters of Scripture that I think most theologians point to when they try to help people understand what are the gifts that God has given to the church. Um, Romans 12 is one of them, but it's not the only place that you find gifts uh, listed in the, in the Scriptures. Uh, two other prominent places, Ephesians 4 is one of those places. Uh, I, I find Ephesians 4 helpful in that it, it talks about what I call the, the gifts of equipping. Um, Ephesians 4 is where Paul is saying, you know, God has given to the church apostles, and he's given to the church uh, prophets, and he's given to the church pastors, and he's given to the church teachers. And then he says this, for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the body. So some of the gifts that God gives, according to Ephesians, are what I call people who are good at equipping other people. They, they help build cohesiveness in the body and help equip people to do the work of the church. 1 Corinthians 12 is another section of the scriptures that talk about some of those gifts that exist out in the church. Um, all of the gifts are supernatural. Every one of them is supernatural. Uh, they, they are not part of your uh, birth profile. They're giving to you through rebirth. Okay? So you get, you get talents and abilities at birth. God builds those into you. You get spiritual gifts at rebirth. That's when the Spirit of God comes into you and says, all right, uh, for this period of time and in this place, this is how I'm going to, to gift you. When you look at the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's some, there's some agreement with the ones we're going to look at here in Romans 12, but there are some extraordinary gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that you won't find in Romans chapter 12, such as speaking in tongues. That will be 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The doing of miracles, healing, that'll be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Um, have, have those gifts gone away? No, I don't believe they have gone away. I believe they're still a part of the church. They're still, still intended to be used inside of the body. Um, but you're going to find a little bit of variation when you go to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at the ones listed here for us in Romans. Every one of them is very helpful uh, to me to look at. By the way, question for you. If I take all three of these and add them up, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, the gift chapters of the Bible, if I add up all the gifts that are listed there, are they exclusive? In other words, is it possible that there are other gifts besides the ones listed in these three chapters? Yeah, it is, right? These are the ones that are listed. And they're listed, I think, for the well-being of the church so that as you think soberly, you're asking yourself the question, is this me? Is this how God has, has wired me up spiritually to serve the church? I'm going to give you an example of that today, and then we'll start to, to close out. Um, the first one he lists is prophecy. Uh, prophecy being inclusive of two different things, foretelling and forthtelling. If I go to the internet right now, true or false, I will find a number of prophets who are speaking into What's going on through coronavirus? True or false? True. Yeah, it's true. Okay. Uh, what should I do with those prophecies? Well, fore foretelling 
is the ability that God gives to some to actually see into the future and to express in clear terms what God is going to do or what he is not going to do. Okay? I never try to just, just joke about or discredit a prophet. Not wise to do. I want to listen to them. I want to hear what they have to say. And I also want to come back and know that all foretelling is to be measured by the Word of God that we currently have. When prophecies conflict with the true Word of God, then I think it's right to say, hey, thank you for your prophecy. I believe it's a false prophecy. It does not line up with what the Word of God is saying. I have clarity in God's Word. This is a false prophecy. So, um, the Quran. It's a prophecy. How did it come about? According to Muhammad, how did it come about? Allah speaks. He, he will write. Is it a false prophecy? It does not align with the Word of God. And so there, I can say, thank you for that prophecy. It is a false prophecy. It does not align with the clear word of God, right? Um, same thing if I'm looking at the internet and somebody says, hey, this is what's going to happen. I look at it and I go, is that, does that align with the true word of God? If it does not, I feel very comfortable in simply saying this is a false prophecy. But I don't want to simply dismiss it. I want to listen to it and I want to weigh it out against uh, the word of God. Some elements of prophecy will not be known until the time passes and a person, can, you can say, hey, guess what? The world did not end in the year 2000. Remember, we had, we had prophets who said, in the year 2000, the second return is going to come and God's going to lift us up and the whole, guess what? False prophets. Pretty easy to tell, right? So the rearview mirror can help you. I always say never discount, though, the foretelling of, 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 the, of the Word of God because God does use that gift still in the church today. Forthtelling is absolutely a part of what a body needs. Um, there are some who say, well, foretelling is preaching. Yeah, I mean, it's proclaiming the Word of God. But I don't think it's what it's really referring to here. To me... Prophets are the people, and some of you have this gift, who are able to apply a specific word of God to a situation or a, um, uh, something going on inside of another person's life. Prophets are the people who walk up to you, and for some reason they say, I've been thinking about you, Carol, and this week this scripture came to my mind. And they speak that scripture to you and you're stunned. Because in that moment, it's exactly the scripture that you need. And how did they know that? How did you know that? They have a gift of prophecy. Do we need those people? Absolutely. Here's what we don't need. Worldly cliches. When you're going through hard times, does it help you when people go, hey, brother, I'll pray for you. Hey, friend, I'll, I'll lift you up. Well, that's, that's nice. You know what's helpful? When a prophet comes up to you and says, here's a word of God for you. And it is exactly the word that God has in store for you in that moment. Do you know some of you have that gift? Think soberly about it. In other words, um, we're all careful. I don't want to just say I have that gift. But if you do have it, here's what, here's what Paul is saying. We need you. 
We have to use those gifts because this body, you and me, like me, walking into this place this morning, if I had to use one word to describe Luke's countenance this morning in this room, sitting up here, getting ready for today, here's the word, defeated. So I felt, I just feel defeated. Holy cow. Come all ye faithful. Where are the faithful? Will they come? And you know, over the course of this morning, um, I don't think I've had a prophet come up to me <laughs> and say, look, here's a word you need. Here's a word you need. But this word did. And I walked into worship this morning. Think, you know what? We're not defeated. We have a God that's able to defeat our enemies. And our enemy is trying to do a work in the church right now and pull it apart. And God is saying, no, this is the time to come together, to be strong together. Because this city and this country have never counted on it more than right now. And so be sober, Luke. Think about the gifts in this church and put them to work amongst them this gift of prophecy. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, close out, I just ask that you uh, be with us. Be uh, um, stirring up the many, many, many gifts that you've placed into this body. Not for ourselves, but for the sake of those who don't know you, for the sake of a time that's unlike any we've ever known, for the sake of people who have no hope and who do feel defeated. Lord, raise up the prophets amongst us, the teachers amongst us, those who have gifts of generosity, those who are able to serve, raise up those gifts, Lord, that we might be your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's blessings on the rest of the day. May he be with you. <laughs>